It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is award-winning Best of Las Vegas trumpeter, composer, producer, and conductor David Perico, who fronts his Pop Strings Orchestra in a salute to Black History Month, featuring the music of Motown, R&B, jazz, and blues and soul, Friday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in a live stream from The Space. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com or stellartickets.com. For more on David, go to his website, David Perico Music. Com, and you can follow David on Instagram at David underscore Perico. David, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Ira. A pleasure. And I have always followed your career and wanted to have you on the show. So this is a perfect time to do it, especially given the sparse nature of performing during the COVID situation. So the fact that you're doing a show coming up on February 26th, and it's a salute to Black History Month, was a good time to have you come on and to talk about you. And about your background, because you were a native of Youngstown, Ohio. You earned a Bachelor of Music from Youngstown State University, and then you got a Master's from UNLV in Jazz Studies and Composition. But how did you end up in Las Vegas from Youngstown? That, to me, was intriguing. Oh, well, thanks. Thank you, Ira. You know, thanks for asking. I actually ended up ended up in Vegas, as it were. After 9-11, I was traveling prior with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra for about eight years on the road, one-nighters. 50 weeks a year, basically. And when 9-11 happened, everything pretty much shut down, similar to, to now. Right. So my brother had moved out here a year prior to, to when I moved out here in 2004. And I was offered a, a teaching assistantship slash graduate assistantship from David Loeb at the UNLV Jazz Studies. And so I, uh, I took it. Nothing was going on. So I basically did my master's degree and uh, they paid me to do it and paid for my school. So it was a win-win and great. I ended up staying here. Yeah. That's a great, <laughs> a great way to where they pay you to study and, and yeah. get your degree. I like that. I have to go back to one thing you said, and that is the Tommy Dorsey orchestra, which of course, the last time we heard of the Tommy Dorsey orchestra or the first time for most of us was in terms of the big band era and world war II, And yet it's still around and you were involved with it. Yeah, uh, you know, Tommy passed away in 1952, and it was taken over by a couple of different band leaders, but then ultimately with uh, Buddy Morrow, the famous trombone player, who actually made Night Train really famous. And it was basically, um, like I say, 46 to 50 weeks a year, one-nighters, playing the big band music, anywhere from Carnegie Hall to uh, an Elks Club in Nebraska. <laughs> and yet you keep hearing about the death of the big band era because of the cost involved in having musicians travel on a regular basis. So the fact that you're able to do that is amazing. And what's even more amazing is your current iteration, the Pop Strings Orchestra, is not a small little group either. That's correct. I've always been a fan of the big bands and the big band setting. So basically what Pop Strings Orchestra is comprised of is four, it's a 14-piece band. Big, We call it a big band. The only difference is we have violins instead of four trumpets and four trombones and four saxes. But it still is interesting that you're able to make that work. Mm -hmm. 
you're able to make that work because the challenge I would think is, especially whether you're playing in Cleopatra's Barge or the Smith Center or coming up is the space, but that's not a small nut to make, I guess is what I'm trying to say here yeah, in my own no, way. Yeah, it, You know, to pencil out for a lot of the venues, it does get a little challenging, but we've just been really fortunate enough to um, have what I would say the best of the best musicians in Las Vegas and with Pop Strings Orchestra, everybody in the band basically plays with a headlining show. For instance, Shania Twain, Rod Stewart, Celine Dion, Aerosmith, Donnie Marie, et cetera, et cetera. And what, what's great about it is when we play usually is late, the later hours, 10, 11 o'clock to one in the morning. So they're done with their shows and it gives us an opportunity to, uh, to take the stage. So the quality is there, and I think people really feed off of that energy of the musicianship. Do you think part of the reason you can make it work is that your musicians have a love for music? So in addition to performing, as you mentioned, in headliner shows, it's a little bit of fun for them and a little bit more of a creative expression? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In other words, they're not in it for the money. They're there for the love of it, and, and they just enjoy being able to jam with all these other fellow musicians. Well, we're definitely in it for the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, let me rephrase that, Your Honor. <laughs> I just keep, I'm trying, you mentioned about penciling out, and I've run out of pencils because I'm thinking, that's a pretty big <laughs> group of people, and you have to pay them. So that's why I was, that's where yeah, I was coming no, from. <laughs> that's the thing, yeah. I mean, I guess a lot of, a lot of the big bands have gravitated more to a kicks band kind of thing or a fun jamming kind of thing. Where we haven't been, you know, we've been lucky to be hired by what I would call great entertainment directors, directors that have a vision of what they want to see on their property and what's going to attract, not the same old usual four or five piece lounge band, nothing wrong with that, but something unique. When you come to Vegas, you want to see something that you really can't get at home in your hometown. So starting with Red Rock Casino, which was Judy Alberti was the entertainment director and then the Palms, which was Billy Kahn over at the Stratosphere we played with, and Matt Mescali was the entertainment director, vice president. And then ultimately, um, at Caesars now, with uh, Damian Costa as the entertainment director, and then Chris Holdren as the marketing VP, Smith Center with Myron Martin, the CEO, and Glenn Medes. When you have those types of people and you know making decisions, that really helps out a lot. Yes, absolutely. And it's good to know that there are quality people around and quality properties mm -hmm. around that can undertake to have your kind of presentation because you do make the you, you you make the room come alive, which I think is why venues like to have you in, because just people get so involved with the music and the musicians and just what you present. Well thank you for saying that. I mean, when you're going back to your inquiry about, you know, Tommy Dorsey and the big bands, you know, to me, what made the big bands so great was number one, the size of the band and the aesthetic of it. And then they were playing popular music of their time. They weren't playing, you know, Sousa marches or right. They were playing the popular music of the day, which is basically what we're doing. And it's just our own arrangements that I arrange for the band. And it's our own little spin up of, uh, you know, like a, equated to macaroni and cheese, you know, spun up with bacon and lobster. And <laughs> no, that makes sense. Do you ever occasionally surreptitiously throw in a little Tommy Dorsey music or big band music into the Yeah, into every once in a while, I'll, I'll do a nod to uh, the big band era. A lot of, I'll throw in some Sinatra, I'll throw in some standards, 
vintage, what I call vintage Vegas, vintage stuff. We, we'll do some Louis Prima. We'll do some Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, Harry James, because I'm a trumpet player. I love Harry James. Some Miles Davis, some Dizzy Gillespie. We always try to put little quotes and stuff in throughout throughout the music. You know, That's you know. nice. And as a trumpet player, I know you don't like to blow your own horn, but the, you do have 15 CDs and five DVD recordings to your credit, and you, including the, the Grammy Award-winning album One Voice by Gladys Knight. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, so you have a lot... You have a lot of accomplishments in the musical arena, and yet you love the concept of the live performance. So where did that come from initially? Because as you said, you, you have your music degrees, so you're able to do that. You write music, you can write arrangements, you do all of that, and yet it's the live music, I think, that's in your bloodstream. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just from a very young age, being around the big bands and playing in big bands as I was younger, and then touring with the big bands that learning that kind of interaction in a concert or dance dance format yeah there's there's no replacing that i mean studio recording can be quite tedious and high pressure and it can be a lot of times just not for me i don't want to say not fun but extremely challenging Yes, it could be it could be perfect at the end of it. In other words, when the person hears a recording, but getting yeah. to that requires a lot more concentration and a lot less fun to get it that way. Yeah, agreed. And I, I don't want to underemphasize the concept of live music and in Las Vegas particularly, because people listening to us, not only in Las Vegas, but from all over the place, they, as you said earlier, you're you're creating something in these properties that they can't get in their hometowns. And Part of this is this live music that, yes, you can get some live music in various dives and bars and mm -hmm. venues and arenas to an extent, but not at the level of Las Vegas. And there was concern at one point after the musician strike way back when that we would have the death of live music because of all the pre-recorded tracks and mm -hmm. the, the musicians union, et cetera. But it seems to be making, if not a full comeback, at least a very dedicated comeback because people want that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, corporations are always going to try to look out for their best interest and cut cut money and cut corners where they can. I understand that and turn profits where they can. But at the end of the day, you know, Las Vegas was built on live entertainment. It wasn't built on swimming pools and restaurants. You know, it was really that when Louis Prima started the late night lounge act and then it morphed into when Frank Sinatra in 1960, 61, 62 with the Rat Pack, that really defined, that, in my opinion, in my opinion, that really defined Vegas. And then all the other big name entertainers were coming in as well. And it's that live show, that live feel, that live interaction that you can't get from anything pre-recorded. And I think that's what really drives people today because they can't, it's not that they can't get music, they can get it on CDs or digital downloads or mm -hmm. television or other means, but to get the live experience, and I can tell you, when you're in a room with a live orchestra, band, trio, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It's live, and there's something that it does to you that you can't get when you're listening to a recording of it. Yeah, it's, it's interaction. It's yeah, interaction, exactly. It's interaction, definitely. And I want to talk about your upcoming performance at the space, and we'll do that in the second part, but I just wanted to finish up mm -hmm. this discussion of just your background and music in general, live music clearly in Las Vegas. Are you optimistic about the return of live music once we get back from this? Oh, yeah, COVID? absolutely. 
I'm very optimistic about things, you know, going forward. It's been a rough year. You know, it's been a rough year for for a lot of people in many ways, whether it's financially, job-wise, health-wise. People, you know, lost their lives, and it's been rough. But entertainment and music has always been that healing, that healing part, you know, people need to connect to and sing to and dance to. So I do feel very optimistic at some point, you know, it might not be for like for it may not come back as fast as we would want it to but it'll be back and i think stronger than ever i think too you would be in a unique position because maybe we can't come back that quickly in arenas or large showrooms Mm -hmm. but in a moderate size showroom or a lounge Mm -hmm. that could work and your ensemble would be perfect for that kind of setup yeah it's it's a catch-22 because you know we we're gauged on packing the house and packing a dance floor or selling out an auditorium or you know, a concert hall. So however we navigate through those waters, uh, it, you know, remains to be seen. Well, yes, it's out of everybody's hands until it happens. So, yeah. Well, let's take a break. And then when we return, I want to talk about your upcoming appearance with the Pop Strings Orchestra at okay. The Space. My guest is award-winning Best of Las Vegas trumpeter, composer, producer, and conductor David Perico, he fronts his Pop Strings Orchestra in a salute to Black History Month, featuring the music of Motown, R&B, jazz, and blues, and soul. Friday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in a live stream from The Space. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com or stellartickets.com. For more on David, go to his website, davidpericomusic.com, and you can follow David on Instagram at david underscore Perico. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Come discover a world of possibilities, a world of wonder, a world carefully curated with interactive, hands-on experiences that put the unique needs of children to play, explore, belong, and learn right where they should be. And that's first. Discovery Children's Museum. Our kids first. For more information, please visit discoverykidslv.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with David Perico and his Pop Strings Orchestra, which will perform a salute to Black History Month, Friday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in a live stream from The Space. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com or Stellar Tickets. For more on David, go to his website, davidpericomusic.com, and you can follow David on Instagram at david underscore perico. And David, in the upcoming appearance at The Space, you're going to be streaming, which again is a whole new animal, and yet you're going to make it work, of course. Are you having any audience at all there, or strictly online or strictly streaming? Yeah, thank you, Ira. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're having audience this time. The last live stream we did last month was received very well but we didn't have any audience so there might there was some talk about maybe having 30 or 40 seats available we'll see but as of now it's just going to be live stream pay-per-view what's interesting is the challenge of the technology in this sense i've talked to other people that have performed at the space but that would be perhaps an entertainer with a few musicians this is a whole setup so you're going to have the whole orchestra mic'd, of course, mm-hmm. and you're going to be the instruments mic'd, and the, the whole thing is going to be a whole 
set up. And clearly you made it work last time, so it's going to happen again. But that sounds like an intensive preparation for the show. Yeah, definitely. It is challenging. There's a lot of moving parts. You have seven string players, four rhythm section, four singers, piano, I mean, a trumpet myself, conductor, and, and saxophone. And then so it really comes down to their techs, you know, which uh, hats off to Mark Chinook and uh, converting his space venue to this platform while we, uh, while we wait till we get back out and playing in public. But hats off to, to Mark Chinook and his, all of his techs, everybody that's with him, his assistants and, and the camera crew, the sound crew. We carry our own, which is one guy from Smith Center is doing our sound and Bob Lentini kind of an icon in the music industry, recording industry, is controlling our live feed. And, you know, his claim to fame is working with Michelle Legrand, Celine Dion, and currently with Elton John. Pretty big names. Yeah. So I think that should work. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about the show itself in terms of the Salute to Uh Black History Month. So you're going to bring in a mix of genres, so to speak. How did you decide to put this together? Yeah, well, actually... Every February, we try to do something. And that, this goes back to since I've been playing at the Smith Center seven years. Every February, I've done something, uh, a salute to the, the Black artists and the excellence of Black artists in the music industry, entertainment industry, and the influence of that. So it just made sense to just translate it to this performance in February. And like you said, it's going to be a little bit of everything. It's almost, it's really impossible. To, there's so much to grab from. So we'll, we'll have a little bit of everything. You know, I'm going to do a Motown medley. We'll touch on the temps, the tops, Diana Ross. We'll do some funk stuff, some soul, which is, you know, we go to James Brown for that. Gladys Knight. Then maybe some 80s and 90s with Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston and Shaka Khan. And then going back even further, we'll do some Nat King Cole. Maybe a little Ella Fitzgerald, Cab Calloway. Uh, that kind of stuff. It's funny. I was thinking when you were saying going back in time, it, I met, it went immediately to Cab Calloway. Yeah. Many the Moocher. <laughs> and and we, we've done that several times, and it's such a crowd pleaser. And, you know, for me as a composer, arranger, finding out, going in and doing the history of, like, when this song came out, when it debuted, it went to number one, or who wrote it, who, when it, you know, Many the Moocher came out in 1931. It was really made famous again, you know, in the Blues Brothers movie in the late 70s, but <laughs> 1931 when, when that debuted. Yeah, it is amazing. And you can go even further back, I guess, with Chick Webb and his orchestra yeah. as well. And, and, and to that, you know, going, just not to digress, but to digress, Sinatra in the 60s, you know, in the lounge, the lounge was considered the place to be. And you can see Sinatra with the Count Basie big band. I mean, that was amazing. And plus a full string section. I think it was about a 36-piece orchestra with the Count Basie big band at the Sands. So that's what the, the, the black artistry, you know, paying um, tribute and honoring the excellence behind the music is what this is all about. It's an interesting subject in and of itself in terms of the pedigree of that kind of music, because it takes various forms as you go back in history. And Mm -hmm. for you, what was the most defining moment of black music up to this point, from your perspective as a musician and a conductor and a composer and a trumpet player? Well, I mean, as a trumpet player, I can speak to Louis Armstrong and King Oliver. As a trumpet player, the lineage, you know, with 
Roy Eldridge, you know, Louis Armstrong, uh, all the bebop players, Dizzy Gillespie, Fats Navarro, Miles Davis, you know, Lee Morgan, Freddie Hubbard. That was one part, and that's in the jazz idiom. In the big band idiom, you got Duke Ellington, Count Basie, you know, the, the list goes on. Uh, and then growing up, it's, it's wide open. I'm a little after Motown, so I was more into, I would say, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Ohio Players, the funk kind of bands, horn bands. It's, it's kind of a mix of everything. When you put this together each year, do you get feedback from your orchestra, your fellow musicians in terms of selection of music? Oh, absolutely. My wife, Lily Arcee, who's the singer, she really helps me out a lot lately. With being a singer, she really has a good beat on the pulse of what, what really connects and what's good to do. So I'll always brainstorm some ideas of songs and repertoire. I mean, some things we'll use that we, you know, we can't get away from James Brown. You know, we're always going to do that. Hardest working man in show business. Yes, right. We're always going to do some of the attempts, My Girl and Ain't Too Proud to Beg, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch from the Tops. Those are always going to be in there. Midnight Train to Georgia from Gladys Knight. But then we'll, we'll mix it up like this time. I know I've got a little bit of Michael Jackson in there. I've got some Bobby Brown, some 90s Belle Biv DeVoe. That's some Benny King stand by me. A little bit of Lena Horn. It had better be tonight and stormy weather. Some cool in the game. <laughs> that's quite Donna a that's Summer. quite a how long is this show? That's quite a selection. How many how long is the show? Yeah, well what what we've done and I've and this has kind of come out of necessity, I do one minute of each song. So I do medleys. That makes sense, yeah. yeah so like the that. Motown medley would be basically, you know, maybe eight or nine songs could be 30 seconds to a minute of each song that we go on. Like, right. remember this one, remember this one, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Here's a challenge, too, I would think, because your nature, and I'm, I'm presupposing your nature, but I'm going to do it for the purposes of this conversation. Okay. <laughs> your nature is, well, you sort of expressed it earlier. Well, you did express it earlier. Your nature is to connect with a live audience. Now you're doing something that's going to be a live stream and it's going to be exciting. But you, how are you going to feel that feedback from the audience if they're not physically in the room? Yeah, that's a great question. And we felt that from last month. Much like the NFL or sports, they're playing to an empty arena. So you have to draw within yourselves and feed off of each other's energy. And that's. That's, it, it, I find that, you know, we're all clapping for each other. <laughs> well, have you thought yeah. about incorporating what they do with hockey and I think with some of the other sports, which I actually agree with, is they pipe in crowd noise. So it gives you that extra sense of excitement, even though there's no crowd there, because it just works. Have you thought about perhaps having a slight crowd noise in the background or responding audience sound? So at least it gives you guys a sense that people are responding, even though it's pre-recorded. Yeah. You know, that's a great, that's a great um, idea. I definitely should look into that, but you know, between the five, six camera crew, we get a good audience. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're reacting. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> that's no, that's yeah, true. It's, it's challenging. I, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to do any more of these, you know, we hadn't played for 10 months. And so last month was our first show, which was fantastic to reunite with everybody. And so we'll do one more of these and see how it goes. But I don't want to get too much into the live stream. I, I'm still 
hoping that we'll be back soon in public. Now's your chance to see us on live stream on TV. And if I can add, Ira, you can stream this to your TV. If you're a little tech savvy, there's different ways with Fire Stick or Roku or Apple TV, mirroring it from your phone, or you can just watch it on your phone or your computer, your monitor. That's fine. But you really have the opportunity to, to stream it to your TV. Well, not just to stream it to your TV, but the big point is that you can then stream it to your big stereo system so you can hear it. Yep. That, that's the main thing. I mean, you want to see the action, but you also want to hear it. So coming through a, sp- mm-hmm. a stereo system, yeah, I could see that working really well. Yeah. Have you thought about, with some of these shows, perhaps this one, recording it as well for a future CD or MP3 download later on? Yes, absolutely. The, the, the last one was recorded, and then this one will be recorded as well. You, you notice I started with CD, and then I went into the other... Yeah, current technology. You know, I still have my CDs and LPs. You know, I love them, but now you know you get into a car. There's no CD player, <laughs> right? You know, you're lost. We're lost. <laughs> no, that's true. It's true. <laughs> so, how do you work it where you divide your time? I'm clear you have a little bit more time now because of the nature uh-huh. of the COVID situation, but still, I think it's a valid question. How do you divide your time between composing, producing? arranging, working on business, which you have to also do in terms of bookings, et cetera. So how do you work that? I'm just curious about the process. How do you work that for yourself? Do you have a dedicated hour where it's just composing, a dedicated hour where it's business, a dedicated hour where it is on the phone with your fellow musicians talking about how to do this or do that, et cetera? Yeah, well, a lot of it comes out of necessity when things just have to be done. So I won't have a set schedule, but in general, I'm an early riser and I work usually till about noon and then I enjoy nature. I love to go out and unplug and, and we have a beautiful surrounding here in Nevada and Las Vegas. So I love to hike. But then, you know, the, the, the contracts and stuff, I do have two other uh, assistants that handle a lot of the business for me, the arranging and, and music. It's, it's out of necessity. If I have to have something written and I'm up early in the morning and I'm writing and cranking stuff out to get to the musicians, because now we don't rehearse. I just send them the music via PDF and, and they have to practice it on their own. And then we show up on stage and that's it. So there's no Zoom rehearsal ahead of time? No. Okay. But the, no, one, the, so most, the most shocking thing you've told me so far, David, is that fact that you, as a musician, get up early in the morning. Yeah, you know, I. <laughs> this is the music business, you know, for me. I produce nine different bands. I have, and especially this band. So, you know, 10% of it is actually playing the trumpet and music. The other 90% is really the, the nuts and bolts of, of running any business. So I'm up early. And you have and, a, it seems to me, you have a realistic appraisal of that concept, meaning that. The majority of it is business, and you're up for that, and, and then you're also going to enjoy your playing, as we talked about. But the fact that you can see it realistically and realize that you're going to spend a lot of time on the business side. Yeah, you know, it's a solitary kind of uh, solitary deal, which I'm fine with, which I like. So, and it's not all business. I mean, I look at the writing of the music and the producing of it is, you know, my passion, my love. I would do it for free. That's how much I love it. So it doesn't seem like work to me. I feel really blessed about it. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been award-winning Best of Las Vegas trumpeter, composer, producer, and conductor, David Perico, who fronts his Pop Strings Orchestra and a salute to Black History Month 
featuring the music of Motown, R&B, jazz, and blues, and soul, Friday, February 26th at 6 p.m. in a live stream from The Space. For ticket information, go to thespacelv.com or stellartickets.com. For more on David, go to his website, davidpericomusic.com. And you can follow David on Instagram at david underscore perico. David, thanks for being on the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Ira. Thank you very much. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy